And we are live here. This is the live edition of the Unsolicited Response Show, where we cover the monthly three top stories, as well as a win, fail, and prediction for the month. I'm Dale Peterson. Uh, welcome to the show. As always, uh, you can put in comments, questions, and we'll respond to those as they come in. First of all, I just wanted to, as a little bit of an introduction, I hope you all had, a, at least for our U.S. viewers, had a happy Thanksgiving. It was nice to be able to get back together with friends and family, I'm sure, or I at least hope you were able to do some of that. And now we're charging in, today's December 1st, we're charging into the last month of a very interesting year. So I know everyone's going to be really busy here, at least for the first two weeks. But uh, I hope you have some time at the end of the month to enjoy it again with your family and friends. A few things have happened recently. Uh, yesterday, I put out in my weekly article, I put out my update on the OT visibility and detection space. I do that maybe twice a year. So this was the last one for 2021. It's really changed a little bit in this in this article. I didn't so much focus on positioning and such. The big three have kind of separated themselves and we've got some other participants. Uh, what I really did in this article was say, what's going to be the biggest challenge for the major players, each one of them in 2022. So I'd encourage you to check that out. As always, I like your questions and comments on that. I've gotten a lot. You can imagine uh, some of the vendors are happier than others. Uh, but also I got, uh, for example, a really good comment that I didn't have Armis in there. And I think that probably was a mistake. Uh, I'm not sure where they fit. I don't think they're big three, but I have some information on that in the article. They're, they're a cloud provider of this, but they're big enough that they probably should be in the article. So it's not perfect. Uh, I take input in all the time. And again, your comments and questions are welcome on any of my analysis. The last thing I wanted to say before I bring on Patrick Miller is that uh, S4 is cranking along. We're up to 372 registered attendees, uh, which is about in line with what we had in S420 when we had 700. So it looks like the event will have somewhere between 500 and 700 people, if I was to predict right now. Uh, we have for a theme of the event, no limits. <laughs> it seems like... Uh, COVID is kind of playing ironic on our no limits theme. But what we did with that is we re-looked at every single element of S4. And if you went to S4 before, I think you're going to see a lot of really cool improvements in terms of the staging, in terms of the social events. There's a huge number of events happening around S4. For example, the first ICS for ICS exercise. We've got some birds of feather planned. There's a pwn-to-own competition with $300,000 worth of prize money and, and a variety of other things. So I'd encourage you to check it out at s4xevents.com. Uh, I think it would be a mistake not to mention the elephant in the room, which is COVID. We, <laughs> I think we are planning on putting out an article on how we're going to handle that uh, actually this week or next week, but we might hold off till the middle of the month to get a handle on this Omicron uh, variant and just see what that's going to be. We are in a good position, though, in the sense that we do a lot of it outside. So our social events are all outside. Uh, we have a big tent outside. So we're going to move more of the breaks outside. And if you want to sit and talk with someone, there's a you know great place to do that outside 
in Miami South Beach in January where the, where the weather is nice. So I'm, I'm optimistic still about it, but we'll deal with the facts as they come in. And, uh, and as always, you can check out the cancellation policy and such. Uh, we don't want anyone to be out of pocket because of they're unable to attend because of COVID. So we'll deal with it. But right now, uh, we're going full, full bore forward with it as an in-person event. And we'll probably give you an update on exactly what kind of rules and restrictions we'll have in mid-December. With that as an intro, uh, Liz, why don't you bring up Patrick Miller? Patrick Miller has been on the show before. He's well-known in the industry. He is founder and CEO of Ampere. Uh, Patrick, I think last time you were on the show, Ampere was just getting started. What What is this new company of yours going to do? <laughs> uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, Ampere, it's, it did a soft, I guess, a soft launch for a while. Um, another consulting firm. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I have a history of consulting firms and this is my next one. <laughs> it's industrial cybersecurity primarily. We do some physical security too. Of course, with my background, uh, a lot of regulatory stuff as well. So, Do you see anything different in terms of services or customers you're going to approach as opposed to, you know, previous consulting firms? In, yeah, in a lot of cases, uh, I'm moving up in the chain. I'm doing a lot of work with uh, directors and officers. Uh, I still have all the technical people to do those those jobs as well. Uh, but myself personally, I'm doing a lot more at that level. Yeah, I, I find that to be more interesting. I think after you do so yeah. many at uh, all levels are important. But yeah. also, I don't know about you. I, I found that uh, my technical skills deteriorated. So I was actually less effective at the lower levels. I mean, I always had a technical person with me, but I, it really was a combination of my interests as well as my skill sets that had me moving up. Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, the same. I mean, I used to be able to do all the technical things and now it takes me a while to kind of remember what to do or ramp back up in that space. So it's, I, I, I have gravitated more toward that executive space uh, primarily just because it, there's, you know, the education there is needed. They need to understand what's going on. They need to understand it in their terms, in their words. So, uh, you know, I saw, I saw a need and went to fill it. And you have that great session. We'll link to it in the show notes here on, on the podcast version of this and, and on YouTube when this comes up later. But you had that great session at the on-ramp on talking to executives. And yeah, we are seeing more often than not that sometimes that's the linchpin to get things started you know, getting the right message to the executives, getting them on board to do the right things is, you can have all the stuff working at the lower levels, but if you don't have that, it's it's really difficult to make systemic progress, I guess. Yeah, yeah, situation. it is. Yeah, it's the funding, the support, just the mindset. There's so many things that come along with it, but, you know, everyone says tone at the top is what really matters. And, you know, it, it does, it does. I mean, it's hard to get but it really does matter. You always have those good sayings, tone at the top. I like that. <laughs> I, I steal so many of them, but I usually give you credit. Uh, okay. So right now, again, if you're, if you're watching on LinkedIn or, or YouTube, feel free to answer or to enter a question or comment, but let's dive into the first story. And, and really two of the three stories, Patrick are up your alley. So I, that's why I wanted to invite you for this month. In November, the American Waterworks Association, AWWA, which is one of the leading industry sector organizations for water, commissioned a report on 
how regulation, cybersecurity regulation should be approached and standards should be approached for the water sector. And uh, the quote I pulled out of that, uh, they said that the water sector would manage the standards development process and associated implementation, and that the organization that they envision this water risk and resilience organization, this WRRO would be funded by the water utilities. And if you dug into the report even more, it was very NERC-SIP-like. So yeah. it was essentially, they, they actually pointed to it. They said, this is how it was done in NERC-SIP. This is how it was funded. This is how the regulation went in place. We think EPA should play the role of FERC and this new organization WRRO should be the ERO, which NERC is now. Right. Uh, I, I saw you followed that up with a blog entry, but let me step aside here and, and let you give some thoughts on what you think of this approach for the water sector. Yeah, I, I couldn't let that one go without a rant. Um, it, it just couldn't, couldn't let it pass. <laughs> uh, I think the, you know, the short story is NERCSIP did move the needle for the electric sector. It, it was, it was necessary. Right. But I think, over time, what we ended up with is something that it probably needs to be looked at again, to be honest. Um, and, you know, again, with this tone at the top stuff, dealing with executives, I think about this, if I were an executive running a company and I had to deal with, let's just say multinational regulations or possibly even multi-sector. So maybe I've got multiple types of, you know, operations that I'm running. Um, God forbid it's both, right? Where you're running, you know, both gas and electric in multiple countries, for example. Um, I'm going to want to know where's the high watermark of things I've got to meet to satisfy all of those regulations. Cause I don't want to have to have custom programs for all of my different facilities in different locations. Just the scale of that doesn't really work. I mean, it's not feasible, to be honest. So when I think about this, if the federal government is going to try to, uh, uh well, not try, if the federal government's going to allow each sector to kind of self-manage and come up with their own regulations, we're going to end up with this really mixed um, hodgepodge patchwork of various standards. And they're going to, you know, they're probably going to be borrowing some things from other areas. I'm mm -hmm. sure they'll probably borrow from NERCSIP if they do something like this. Um, interestingly enough, the TSA didn't borrow much from NERCSIP. They kind of went off on their own tangent. So it's not a guarantee by any stretch. Um, but we end up with like the TSA pipeline security directives. We're probably going to see something for surface transportation coming soon from TSA and mm -hmm. for aviation coming soon for TSA. And we're going to see this turf battle between like TSA and DOT, um, like we see a little bit with kind of with DHS and even NERC in some cases. Um, so I think this this uh, kind of fragmentation and, um, you know, fractionalization, uh, it's it's causing the 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 organizations that have to do this, it's causing a lot of pain. It's causing a lot of uh, frustration, difficulty, because there's just no, there's no, there's no standardization. Um, you know, and, and the, the question always comes up. It's a bad question. It's the wrong question, but it always comes up, you know, how secure are all the infrastructures? And if mm -hmm. you're using all these varying standards, you really are having, from a comparison standpoint, it's just impossible. I mean, it, you can say, well, this one's doing it this way and they're they're this secure, but this one's doing it that way and they're that secure. But when you want to look at this kind of holistically, it it's just it breaks down really fast. 
So I think the, though it is a bad question and it's the wrong question, it's going to get asked and it's going to get simplified and it's going to get reduced down to, you know, are the infrastructures at least X secure? And mm-hmm. unless you can measure that across the board with at least some degree of consistency, you're always going to come up with an it depends answer, which is even worse than the, the stupid question. Mm-hmm. Um, because then it becomes too murky and then they want to drill in deeper and it just causes more, uh, more frustration and wheel spinning. So though it might not be the best approach, it's a good enough approach to standardize on something that is equivalent, at least for all of them. Most, I think most can agree that, um, you know, like the, if you're at least in the US, like 853, 882, it, it can be applied to all of those infrastructures, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um, even NERCSIP has been mapped to them by mm-hmm. NIST, right, through the CSF. So um, it's... It's that you know, if you're going to try to regulate, getting some degree of consistency across the board is going to be very, very useful, at least to have that conversation of where are we? Are, are we mm-hmm. at least doing some minimums in all of these infrastructures? Well, we'll get to Vivek's question in a second because I think it's a good question, but uh, I want to dive a little more into this. So I understand your con- let me take a step back. The one of the things they talked about was the importance in, of the water utilities having some influence on what the standards would be. And I, I think everyone, almost everyone says what TSA did was wrong, where they just went in a back room and said, here's a bunch of security controls that you got to get done. You know, it was, it was kind of a panic move really more than anything else. It was a knee jerk reaction. Yeah. And I, I think they'll learn from that and I think they'll bring the people in. So I don't think anyone would argue that there shouldn't be some consultation prior to regulation or standards. Um, but I was curious, what about this ER, you know, electric has ERO. It's always been this issue that the utilities set the standards, the security requirements that they're going to be audited to against themselves. There's always a little bit of this conflict there. Like, do you want to set the minimum level of standard or do you say, well, no, we need this so that the grid stays up? Uh, They're kind of proposing the same thing in water where they're saying, hey, we'll decide what the right security requirements are. This lack of independence, even though from a maybe organizational standpoint, strictly on paper, they're independent. They clearly are influenced heavily by this. And I I guess I would worry about the water sector saying this is what we need to do. I, I would makes me nervous. That was a, one of the, one of the things with the NERC SIP be, or NERC being the ERO that always just never sat well with me. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, self-regulation is challenging. I mean, it's, it really, really is difficult. <laughs> um, it, you know, there's an old saying, you can't smell your own breath. <laughs> it's yeah. really hard to do self-evaluations, which I see a lot of these, you know, even if it's something like, um, like a C2M2, when I see organizations did their own C2M2 versus when an external party helped them, um, it's very difficult to evaluate yourself. And you have, I mean, honestly, most organizations are pretty bad at risk. They're, they're not great at it. Just, just be honest about it. And I think the hard part is every utility, every organization, every infrastructure thinks that they're unique. And mm-hmm. they think that we know our systems better, we know our world better, and they do. But there is at some point, there is a commonality to all of these things. I mean, if you back out far enough, SCADA is SCADA, right? It's whether it's boxes on a belt, power on a wire, water on a pipe, it's flow control, 
it just it's kind of the, it's the same thing and we use a lot of the same technologies across the board the way they're used is a bit different right and things like water where it's really localized there's no transmission system it's just distribution and there's a lot of other kind of existing physical controls in place there yes it, it is different um, but that said you could still apply something like an 853 and 82 to it and still get a good result it, it doesn't well, have to be your custom crafted unique standard you know I think that uh, that electric had at least the advantage when it comes to self-regulation that since they all are interconnected, they sort of rely on each other doing their jobs. But if I'm a water utility in San Francisco, a water utility in Virginia failing doesn't really affect me at all. You know, right. so there's there's this little I would think there'd be more. Uh, impetus to say, let's keep the regulatory bar as low as possible. We may choose to do more from a security standpoint ourselves, but there's no benefit to us to putting hard rules on ourselves. So I would, I think the independence issue is probably bigger in almost every other sector than electric. Same with manufacturing and other. You, yeah, they just, chemical too. Yeah. I guess manufacturing, you could say supply chain stuff. You might might have some interdependencies in that. Well, let's go to Liz. Let's put Vivek's question up. He was asking if, and I'm not as familiar with foreign uh, electric sector regulations. Have you seen any that uh, you said, hey, this is this has been more effective than NERC SIP? I've seen some. I, I noticed Dick put the one about uh, Ireland. <clears throat> Ireland's got a decent model. Germany's got a decent model. Um, I've seen some that have really, you know, I think the difference is it's hard to compare because a lot of those systems, uh, you know, Ireland's an island. Yeah. Right. It, it's not it, the interconnectivity of that doesn't span three countries in the U.S. Mm. Like for a power system, for example, it goes from Canada to Mexico. So yeah. what happens on one? It's like a spider web. You pluck it and it happens. You know, it affects the whole system. Mm. Uh, so it, it's it's hard to to map these things directly just based on the the country. And in a lot of cases, you know, whether it's, um, you know, electric or gas or even in some cases water, there is a varying degree of federally owned or nation owned versus municipally owned or privately held. So that mix is very different and has a very big impact on how these regulations unfold. So it's, it's not as easy to just say some other country did it better. And here's here's what theirs looks like, because that model doesn't always apply to the same like economic construct that we have. Yeah, this is why I'm always jealous of Singapore because they have such limited things and so much power that they yeah. can do things that just would be completely infeasible in most right. of the rest of the world. Right, it would uh, break down. Now, Blake has an interesting comment here, and we could get down a rabbit hole here. He says that the uh, self-regulatory organization model is also used in the financial sector for financial regulations. Yeah. I guess we could argue how effective those financial regulations have been. Um, I, I think there's some some questions about those given some of the incidents we had, but I, I'm not an expert in that. But thanks for the comment, Blake. Yeah, I had I had one other thought on this though. I thought that when I when I read the report, I didn't know what was going to be in the report, obviously, but the report was essentially writing this is how we would implement a NERC like model a NERC-FERC-like yeah. model in the water sector. I've, I would have given the would have given it a little more credibility, the report, if they had analyzed other regulatory models. Like, yeah. Why did they just say, this is how we could do what 
what uh, is done in the electric sector. Why didn't they say, well, we could have a government regulatory model per sector. We could have an overarching regulatory model, like you suggested, uh, across the sectors. Um, and, and, and who should be this, this um, ERO or WRRO? Even yeah. if they, a lot of times on these studies, they know where they want to be before they start, but at least they would then have had to say, we looked at these other models and here's the pros and cons, and here's why the model that we think is best is best. And I yeah. just didn't see that. It would just leapt to this. And that bothered me a little bit. I, I agree. And a, a key part of this, though, Dale, is not just the standard. And that's where everyone gravitates is, is the standard is, you know, the NERC-SIP uh, standards, do they map to other controls? All of that discussion aside, it comes down to the what's called the monitoring and enforcement component. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the SIP standards, they were great when they were written. And it's not a bad standard. Some of the language, you know, obviously is a little outdated yeah. and that kind of thing. Uh, it, it, and there, it's got its warts. But, you know, it, in general, the concept of each one of those requirements is great. Now, that aside, monitoring enforcement is the key component. Let's look at um, the audits that happen for NORC SIP. I mean, it's pretty much at the auditor's discretion to have this wide latitude of interpretation in many cases. Um, you know, t- look at what TSA does with the security directives and the, the mandatory uh, actions that they've got. Mm-hmm. So what is this going to look like for the water enforcement space? Um, are they going to have some performance-based standards? Are they going to have control-based standards? Will they, you know, actually have controls and control tests and you get some continuous monitoring output? Or is it going to be kind of the choose-your-own-adventure style of NERC-SIP where you have to kind of show the auditor all of this mountain of evidence to determine whether you did or you didn't do what you were supposed to? So it's more important to me is uh, the monitoring enforcement component because, honestly, the standards are all the same. I mean, it's it's just the same stuff mixed up in different ways and called something else. So all the controls are basically out there. I don't think there's anything new. Hmm. Yeah. And I guess the other thing, and I, I exited NERC SIP pretty early, probably about, uh, probably like 2010, 2011. I said, this just isn't for me. Uh, when it, when it became clear that you needed to almost be a full-time NERC SIP to really understand it. Yeah. But at the time it seemed highly inefficient. It is. It, it, it raised the floor, but it didn't seem like a model that I would want to say, if we're going to spend resources on security, this is the way we would do it. It, I, it is highly inefficient. <laughs> I can confirm. <laughs> well, so that might be the next thing that AWWA should sponsor is what would they change if they were going to do this? What, what would they change if they were going to take a NERC SIP approach uh, and say, we're going to have a WRRO and EPA, and we're going to write a set of standards. What did we learn that we would do differently from NERC SIP? I, I think that might be worthwhile because I, when I saw people starting to create spreadsheets full of all the services and open ports and all that for every cyber asset, I was just thinking, oh my goodness, this is, this is not the way to do it. Yeah. It, it's oh. yeah a lot of work. <laughs> Okay, well, let's move on to our second topic, which is also um, related to NERC-SIP, I guess, in, in a broad sense. It's in the electric sector. This month, we had Grid X 6 which was 700-plus people, two days. It's, an, it's a, an event, an exercise run by the electric ISAC, uh, and it's obviously it's happened five times before. This was the sixth one. Have you ever participated in Grid X? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, I never have. I have been in a, in a utility when Grid X two was happening. 
Um, and, and what was, you know, the people were dealing with it. So I was actually in a room with people that were participating in GridX and hearing all the grumbling and such. Um, it looks like though, that it's gotten better. I looked at the report from GridX too, and the, uh, a lot of the lessons learned were, were kind of generically. They said, we need to continue to enhance information sharing coordination, incident response, situational awareness. I mean, very, very broad. But yeah. then GridX5 had a couple that were a little more, I guess, substantive and action-based in the sense that they said, for example, we should have a shared inventory program mm -hmm. or we should incorporate pipeline owner operator yes, um, sort of thing. So it seemed like maybe it was getting better from your standpoint. And I know you talk to a lot of people in the electric sector. What, what's the big value of grid X? Yeah, I would say the big value is it's, you know, first of all, it's, it's a well-run um, incident response exercise with in most cases, realistic or plausible scenarios. Um, I mean, yeah. it, they pretty much throw everything at you. I'm surprised that the next one's probably going to include something like an alien invasion because it's it's an all hazards approach, right? Um, it's everything from you know squirrels driving backhoes, um, but it, it it is good. It's comprehensive. It's it's well managed. It helps organizations that. Uh, you get a free incident response exercise. It also can help you learn how to do them yourself should you want to do these, you know, at another time. Mm -hmm. So you get an idea of what good looks like or what kind of what's par, right? Uh, and it it involves a lot of the organizations at once. So you can work with your peer organizations. If you're part of like a, an ISO or an RTO, you can work with your, you know, anybody in your chain, for example. If you're a generator, you can work all the way up to your balancing authority, for example. Um, so that I think it's good because it, it does bring a lot of the organizations together under one roof for a common exercise that's well run, well managed, well conceived. So there's, there's a lot of value in it. When they, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to do cyber storms. The government used to do these yeah. cyber storm exercises and you could write the press release before the event took place. You know, it was a oh, yeah. success. It yes. brought together all these people and, and I, I don't want to downgrade that or or mark it down or denigrate it, uh, bringing people together, getting them to talk. There, there's value in that, especially organizations that typically don't talk. I mean, heck, I put an event on that. <laughs> that's that's part of what we do. So I, I see the value in that. I guess my question is, do they really dive into lessons learned? Like, do they, do they actually say, this didn't work? This was, if we had actually had this incident, this would have been a disaster we need to deal with this. Do they look at it hard or is it just roses and, and flowers? That's a very valid question. Um, it, it, there is some roses and flowers to it. I mean, it is, it is, I mean, I'm not going to call it a PR stunt, but you know, it is, there is a lot of publicity around the event for lots of good reasons. And yeah, you know, it's that this is not a bad thing that this is happening. It's a good thing. Do they drill down into the lessons learned? Yes. To a certain, to a certain depth. So at, at that level, I'm not going to get as my, you know, specific utility. If I'm like a cooperative in the middle of nowhere or an irrigation district and I participate, my, my specific lessons learned may not be addressed at that level. Right. But it is addressed to a certain depth. Do you, have you run into utilities that walk away from grid X and say, we internally need to do these, you know, one, two, three things because we learned something like that. Yeah, they get, they always get something out of it. I mean, it's rare that they participate and get zero benefit. I mean, that's pretty yeah. uncommon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, I, th I think it's a, a worthwhile exercise. I, maybe you don't want to share the warts 
you know, in the press release, you know, maybe as long as there's documentation behind the scenes that said, Hey, you know, this, this would have been really bad. Had this actually happened, yeah. we are completely unprepared. We need to do these three things in the next six months and here's the actions and here's how we're going to measure them. Uh, yeah. that then it could be a huge value. Yeah. I mean, the lessons learned will definitely be characterized in a way that they look like, you know, one opportunities <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that, yeah, you're right. They're not going to show the warts in the press release. No. And, but there, there are some of those that do get discovered and even down at the utility specific utility level, they come up with some of them on their own. You know? Yep. And this is also true with incident response exercises um, in, in your own organization. I find like the first and maybe since it's so large, it's never going to go smoothly. The first ones are almost more educational than they are uh, validating that your incident response process works. It's, right. People are learning it. But at some point when you go through those, you start to evaluate what you did and, and start to have remediating actions against people or processes if, if they're not able to achieve what they were supposed to achieve. Yeah. That's probably impossible for a, a an exercise this large with this many people to actually, you know, point fingers saying you need to do this better. Yeah. Yeah. They won't point out any specific utility. That's for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but I okay. They, 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 they do it. They should do incident response exercises. I mean, honestly, my, my pitch to them is always your operations knows what to do in the event of an ice storm or a hurricane or anything like that. Your incident response for cybersecurity should be the same. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All cause. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get to our last story. Um, this one is, is probably uh, one I know a little more about because Idaho National Labs has their uh, consequence-driven cyber-informed engineering, CCE. Yeah. Hey, I remember that. I didn't even write down what it, CCE broke out to, and I remembered it. So uh, that's, that's a feather in their cap. That I finally have that memorized, but they have the CCE program. They've had it for years. They finally put out the book. Uh, I've, I've done uh, a show with Andy and uh, one of the other uh, participants from INL on that, but then they're starting to get partnerships. So they had first a partnership with 1898, the Burns and Mac cybersecurity consulting. They have a partnership with uh, the water sectors, West Yost. And then this month they announced a partnership with Black & Veatch, which is a 10,000-person, $3.7 billion engineering company. So they have this methodology that is incredibly <laughs> process-driven, uh, pretty heavy manpower-driven. I think that uh, when they did it at Florida Power & Light, you know, it took six months or more with many, many people involved. I mean, you're talking about man, many man years of works, a lot of process, a lot of documentation. To me, I thought this was a major step forward, though, that they're starting to get these partners because INL can only do so many of these. Yeah. Um, what do you think? I mean, to me, this seems like the perfect partner for them, these large engineering companies that deal with methodologies. What do you think about them as partners or who else should they be going after for partners? Do you think? I think it's an excellent partnership. I mean, it, it you know, it, it is an engineering basis, you know, the whole CCE thing. It's that's kind of what it's designed in. It's building in those engineering, you know, physical safeguards in addition to the other things that we're doing. So, uh, you know, uh, adding these engineering firms is a, is a massive complement to the program. I mean, it, it's, I think it's starting to not just, you know, go from concept to reality, but reality with legs, you know, this, this mm. gives it that kind of, and I think if they pick up other, you know, 
Black and Veatches, you know, similar organizations. It's it's basically uh, the the level of adoption is going to be just going to expand and improve, which is in my mind, it's a fantastic model, and it should expand and improve. Yeah, I I think that they're probably better positioned now. They do one of the things that's a little misleading about CCE in terms of the title is there's a tremendous amount of traditional cybersecurity work in there. There's in their steps two and three which I'm not a big fan of, they essentially redo everything that you would suggest someone do, you know, full asset inventory, full assessment, full, you know, all these sorts of things that have really very little to do with consequence. They have to do with likelihood. Um, So in theory, you could have someone like a Deloitte and a Accenture, um, an IBM, someone like that involved with this, but I don't know that they'd be, I, I guess I think I'd, say INL is approaching it the right way. I, I wouldn't preclude them from doing it, but these others seem a little more logical to me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more of their target space versus an INL or, or Deloitte or, or any of those. A lot, I'm sorry, I mean, the, um, an Accenture or a Deloitte or the, the big consulting yep. firms. I think the big firms like to have their own, you know, not necessarily secret sauce, but we'll call them custom methodologies where they've kind of combined things mm-hmm. that in theory are better because they're this, you know, aggregate of other really good ideas done their special way. And that gives them some unique differentiator. Um, to borrow this methodology method, methodology in whole would not necessarily devalue what they're doing, but it would it would uh, almost distract from their custom approach. Hmm. Where a lot of yeah, engineering that, firms, they, they, they're engineering based, right? It's, it's physics. <laughs> so yeah. this, this fits right in their wheelhouse. Yeah. It is interesting, though, that if, if you're you don't, you, it's maybe a little harder to differentiate it if all these engineering firms are doing CCE certified because there is a process in which you create this partnership and then you send people through training and eventually there INL's working through this. Then you could get competition based on price, which I know these engineering firms prefer not to just go straightly based on price, yeah. a, a CCE assessment. That's, that's an interesting point. The other thing about this, though, I, I think is is pretty clear is this is not something that really lends itself to a small firm uh, in no. terms of being a partner. I mean, even when I had 15 people, I could maybe do two of these a year then, maybe, yeah. Pro- yeah. you know, probably not, probably one a year if with my small 15-person team. So you really do need these large ones. The, the thing I'm less sure about is this West Yost is trying to tailor it for the water sector. So they're saying these are common engineering issues, um, basically cyber physical attack engineering issues related mm-hmm. to water systems. As you can imagine, there would be ones with electric with yeah. the protection and safety systems that are in place there. I wonder if there will be more of these sector specific CCE targets. Probably so. I mean, e- even if they're using, you know, the CCE as a basis, they're still going to have some differentiators to it. I mean, that's, I mean, we both in the in the consulting world. That's you, you've got to have something different to make it worth value, other than just price. Yeah, yeah. And and if you think about it, if you've done one refinery, for example, you would know. Okay, these are the engineering issues related to a refinery mm-hmm. that could cause things to go boom, uh, and this is how they could be affected by cyber. So we're going to go in with these models and accelerate the whole process. So it, it is possible. I, I could see the tailoring. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Yeah. I, okay, I think now, it's going to happen. 
Now we get to the fun part. And, and please, if you're out there, uh, type in your win, fail, and prediction. Oh, I like this uh, Blake's comment. Yeah, He's saying was, speculating these CCE engagements will be delivered as part of larger EPC contracts rather than standalone. Interesting. I think so. Yeah. I mean, it, it's going to be easier to bundle it in at that scale. But like doing this uh, kind of retroactively is going to be a much heavier lift than building it in with the, a new EPC. And then the EPC could be hiring your your Burns and Mac, your Black and Veatch to to do that because they bring in a lot of people. Yeah, Blake, I think I think you might be onto something there. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's let's look at um, let's look at wins, fails, and predictions. This is always a fun part of the show. I will let you go first with any of the three. Pick your favorite: win, fail, or prediction. Well, I guess we'll start with the win, fail, prediction order. Uh, win, I think Apple suing the NSO group was a win. Really? Yeah. Why? Um, well, I mean, really, in no uncertain terms, Apple's got more money than God. And Apple's got probably enough attorneys to uh, make a difference in the space. I mean, I think didn't Facebook sue them for the WhatsApp issue too? I mean, what it's doing is it's setting a precedent. When you do something like this, uh, there is likely going to be some legal ramifications to it. And if it's done by big enough organizations with enough attorneys, um, they can even basically exhaust the other party's, you know, funds <laughs> until they, you, you know, you you basically you you economically beat them down with attorney fees over time till they have to, you know, give up or you know, in some way change what they're doing. So it is a method to affect change. I think you you might get a little bit of pushback from that from the security community because there. Are- if I understand the the case right, it it has to do with the finding and selling of vulnerabilities. Uh, yeah, it 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 does, but I also think it has to do with with the usage of those things too. It's not just because I mean this has always been a touchy space, right? It's never yep. been you know clear. It's never been defined there, and there are some absolute like you know pitchforks and torches on both sides that just it, there's masses of angry people on on, on both sides of this. Um, but I, I do think what it does is it brings it brings it out front and center in a very public and um, well-funded case, so that we'll we'll see where this goes. But in my mind, this is a win because it it's going to change the landscape. It's definitely going to make a a big impact. Well, I could agree with you that it's it's a it might be a win because it will force people to start asking these questions. Yeah. Um, you know, for example. It, Nicole went into this a lot in her book, Nicole Perlroth. Um, this is how I think the world will end or something close to that title. Yeah. I was on a bestseller list. Good, good book. And chapter two is on an S4 dinner. So I really like it. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if the U.S. government is buying these, yeah. you know, what's are, are you going to start suing the people that sold to the U.S. government? You know, we don't know where know, this is going to go. Right. Yeah. So, so I like the. I, I agree with you, Win, in the sense that okay, this now is going to be out there, and maybe yeah. there will be some parameters that people will say these are the rules. Although, again, I think a lot of the market that we might be most concerned about won't follow any rules. So that no, of course not. No, they're not going to follow the rules. But it, it it will help us get the conversation out there. It'll get the dialogue more public. It will create some norms, and norms are still important. I mean, you can't yep. just you know, pretend they're not. They are important. Legal boundaries are important. We have to know where the lines are. We may not like them. And if we don't like them, we can ask, you know, 
do action and, and request change, but it's it's got to have some it's got to have some uh, a path. Otherwise, it's murky and it ends up with people basically pushing in all directions. So okay. I think the fact that it brought the conversation out front and center was was a a win. And okay. like I said, it's, it's big, it's public, it's well funded. We're going to see some change. Okay. Uh, my win and fail are related. So let me hit them together. And, and my fail really isn't a fail. It's more of a loss. I just wanted to note that, uh, we really lost an important person of the community, Alan Paller, uh, from Sands uh, this month. And while he wasn't specifically involved in ICS or security or OT, he was really the driving force in getting that started at Sands and bringing on the right people to make that happen. And, and if you look at it, whether, you know, I hear differing opinions about the SANS training, but we have to admit that the SANS training has probably trained more people on OT security or ICS security than anyone else yeah. with their classes. They have yeah. very much. structured yeah. programs, um, a lot of courses, and and that wouldn't have happened without Alan. And he accomplished a lot more than that, that, you know, I, I was not close with Alan. A lot of people were and have very fond remembrances, but just from a pure community standpoint, I, I just wanted to recognize the huge impact he had on the workforce in getting this training started. And I'd even, I'd even go further. I'd even say that, that the SANS training probably encouraged other people to create training programs because they saw, oh, SANS was successful with this. So maybe ISA said, hey, we should have a four-part certification program and such. So really a, a big loss. And I just wanted to note his contribution. Yeah. Thank you for doing that, Dale. That's that's awesome. Yeah. Alan was, was amazing. And then I guess the win is a bit related to that. So he, he has, uh, you know, one last SANS win is SANS has this new course called, uh, and I think you'll appreciate this. Uh, I wrote it down here. ICS... 418 ICS security essentials for managers. Yes. Which is a two day intensive course. And they're just coming out with that course. And the first one was sold out. Yeah. So we need to get a lot of uh, mid and, and senior level management trained on this. So it was great to see this course finally come out and it was great to see it sell out in its, in its first edition. So that's my win. What yeah. was your loss for the month? Um, or your fail, loss, actually, your fail. Yeah, the fail. Yeah, and and first acknowledging um, that Sans class is going to be really awesome. Uh, JD, mm -hmm. good friend of mine, helped develop it, and he's he's always got excellent management advice. Um, yeah, someone I even look to for for that area as well. So, I'll be taking the course for what it's worth. Um, I say my my fail. I think there's there's a bunch of them that are all like little failures all over the place, of course. But the one that kind of at least rubbed me the wrong way this month was the the Vestas uh, ransomware issue. And again, we have a case where yet another company uh, doesn't really have a good approach toward responding to this publicly. I look at like the example, of course, the bar that was set was the way Norse Kedro did things. I mean, they really set the bar for for how to publicly disclose what happened, work with you know all your partners. And and manage the incident. Vestas, for you know, like like others. I mean, Colonial is another example of um, it's murky. We don't know. We're not going to talk about it. And then finally, it comes out with with what happened. And even then, it's very little detail. And and the customers are still really frustrated with how things were handled. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that you know those risk matrices that you see. 
I'm sure you've seen many of them, you know, the, yes. like the five by fives with likelihood on one and consequence on the other. Yes. And the consequence has all these columns and yeah. reputation tends to be one of the columns in a lot of these risk matrices. Yeah. So there's five level of consequence to reputation. And I've had some discussions with people in this risk management. I said, look, we need to work on our response. So if this happens, the reputation consequence is not a catastrophe or major, it's a minor. And we can reduce it by having an appropriate response. Um, and, yeah. and I think that it's, you know, it, it's called incident response. It falls into incident response, but I almost put it in risk management in terms yeah. of having that having that ready. Because as you mentioned, uh, Norris Hydro actually got more plaudits for their work than they did, you know, with arrows. At, yeah. at some point after the initial maybe 12 hours or so, everyone was like, wow, uh, you know, yeah. they're really trying. Now, I, I don't think their response was necessarily so great, but their openness was really something. Yeah, I think it was really good. And it's um, it's not what happens to you. It's how you handle it. You know, I think that's yeah. the, one of the key parts. And, of course, yeah. in some cases, if you handle it well, your stock can even go up versus down. Yep. Yep. Uh, Dick Brooks has uh, a win up. He says NIST SP800 161 R2 is a big win for the C-SCRM implementation needed for executive order 14028. Oh my God, we have too many acronyms. That is really, that is really a mouthful, but thank you, yeah. Dick. Yeah, Dick, what I is, agree. I think that's a win what, as well. Yeah. What is, I don't know what C-SCRM is. What that's is that? Supply you, chain risk management. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Thank you, Dick. Um, prediction. What, what's your prediction, Patrick? Uh, you know, it's an, it's a, a tired one, but I, I can't help but go back to it. Uh, OT ransomware. I think at some point we're going to see it make it its way, making its way through the OT environment. Of course, it's not going to hit, you know, some devices because they just don't do that. But uh, if there's, if there's something it can hit, I think we'll see it at some time. And I, I just keep waiting for the news to pop up one day when somebody gets it on that side and it turns into some raging inferno and it's a problem. Interesting. Do you think it would be targeted OT ransomware or just leak in? I'm going to push you on your prediction. Yes. <laughs> Both, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. I think I think that they're actively working on that. I mean, why wouldn't they? Right? Why wouldn't they work on targeted OT specific ransomware? <laughs> I mean, just I mean, I would I challenge anyone to, to show me that there's a reason not to do it. Um, well, I, I can do that. Um, let's go. <laughs> I, I think. I think it might be considered, uh, we even saw this with Colonial Pipeline, it might just be considered the blowback you're going to get might not be worth the money. You might say, look, if I if I attack these people, not much is going to happen to me. I'm not going to get governments trying to chase me down if, if I attack this critical infrastructure. Now, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, ICS, ICS that are not critical infrastructure. So some manufacturing plant, I could see that. Yeah, uh, very well happening. Yeah. I mean, if you really just want the ransom or the extortion component, it's it may not be something that's that critical, but I still think it's going to hit at somewhere sometime. It's going to be uh, it, the leak in part, of course, is inevitable. At some point, that's just going to happen. I mean, yeah. the law of diffusion alone would yep. apply. Um, right. But it, I think the will is just something targeted at some point that is if it's not specifically targeted at that company or at that tech, it's kind of OT general. Um, starting, I mean, you got to start somewhere with it. So obviously the targeted stuff, you know, if you, if you've really got an adversary that wants to do that, sure, they could probably do that. I mean, it's not, it's not out of the realm of possibility. 
Yeah, and we are. It, it is, I guess, as you say that, it is noteworthy that some of the malware now includes in its generic search some ICS protocols yeah. and applications. They just add when they see new things, they add it in, not necessarily thinking we're targeting OT. It's just, hey, we've seen this on systems. Let's see if we can find it other places and report back. I, I do, yeah. I would actually think, though, OT-targeted ransomware could be more likely to be a false flag sort of thing where someone wants to attack a system, but they don't want to appear to be attacking it. So it's just ransomware. And by the way, it happened to take out this OT, but uh, yeah, you get, you get into all that spy versus spy stuff there. It gets, but it's a fantastic diversionary tactic. It really, really is. And we've used that in a lot of incident response exercises. When I do those with companies is I'll use ransomware as the cover for what I'm really doing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, my prediction, I'm going to stick on the education side. And my prediction is we're going to start to see in this next um, year in 2022, we're going to see probably for the next two to five years, exponential growth in the ICS security programs and degrees out of universities. So we've seen big growth in private sector ICS security training. We've got a handful, and I've I've noted Sean McBride's efforts at Idaho State University, yeah. uh, and there's a few other programs. But you know, we'll see those at least doubling every year for the next few years, just because there's there's demand for those people, and universities will respond to demand, and it's it's such high priority. And I think that'll be a good thing if if that prediction comes true. That'll be a good thing. Interesting. Okay, I I would expect it to be slower, but. We'll see. I, I, I honestly hope your prediction is right. I think that'd be fantastic. Well, it's a little bit of cheating because it's coming from such a small base. So if you have like five programs and you get to 10, it's exponential in the yeah. first year. I, you I go think, from one to two, you doubled your, your, your approach. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's a pretty safe one in the early years. I think, you know, will it get up into the hundreds? Will it be something that most universities that have some sort of technical engineering program include that's that's mm-hmm. a bigger question is how universal it'll get well I, I think that's it for the month patrick do you have uh people can find you where best uh, at patrick c miller on twitter where else yeah. should they look for yeah, at patrick c miller on twitter and of course ampere sec um or even patrickcmiller.com either one i'm pretty easy to find yeah and and you're out speaking again now right yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, since I got vaccinated back in like May, I've been on the road, um, whether it's speaking or at clients. So, uh, yeah, I'm traveling again. Yeah. And at, at S4, I'm looking forward to going to S4. Um, I'll be there. We'll be doing the Beer ISAC and uh, giving away the Beer ISAC Community Builder Award. And I wanted to personally thank you for doing the Women in ICS Day. I think that's fantastic. And I think that's really, I, I hope it makes a difference. Yeah. I hope so too. I, I keep going back to the Whenever I hear workforce things, and I'll get I'll get this question sometimes in in interviews and such. What do we new, need to do to grow the workforce? And I just say women. Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. women right now are about ten to fifteen percent of our yeah. of our space it's at that. best. Yeah, and you know, if we get that up to 30, 40, 50, you know, the that's how you get a lot more people that we need, talented people to help us do the job. So there's yeah. There's, there's fairness reasons, but there's also very pragmatic reasons yeah. why we need for, to solve for this all problem. the reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, cool. Well, thank you again. I look forward to seeing you in January and, uh, and everyone out there. Thank you for your comments and questions. You can always email us at s4 at digitalbond.com. And if you have a question for a non-live version, you can go to dale-peterson.com and record your question.